Good morning. It's lovely to see us all here. Um, my name's Tamsin. My pronouns are she and her. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful sunny day. It's lovely to be here with you all. Um, on our, people have, don't believe it, but it is the last week of this series. <laughs> we often have a really long winter series that morphs into other series and never, people have forgotten what the original part was if we were to ask. And anyway, this is the last one for this series. So that's a marker. At least if we say it like that, it doesn't just blur into the next one. Um, so this series has been, if, if you're here on occasion, a series of Jesus as another story. Um, to, and it's kind of been, we've looked at what's Jesus another story too. Um, a story that points to life. I'm going to just use my clicker here. Um, but what does that actually look like? Um, and Jesus comes in the form of a wisdom teacher concerned about transformation. So often in Jesus we say, oh, look at this, the steadiness. Okay. <laughs> if we all watch you, it'll help. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, this sort of transformation of ourselves, transformation of power, um, and transformation of how we do life together in the form of Jesus. Um, so this, we're looking at uh, a story um, and how we Jesus kind of forms community around himself as a person, but ourselves as we continue the tradition, that we can resist other dominant stories that prove to be less than life-giving. Um, and I know Shane's shared a lot about just what are these other dominant lives. Some of these stories of meta, really large societal stories of, we talked about capitalism before, or um, radical individualism of these kind of big pressures that we feel um, in our world that we don't always see, um, but we come together to try and see them with a bit of space so we can decide if they are indeed life-giving for us. But the stories sometimes are just less than life-giving stories we form within ourselves um, on a sort of a smaller levels of those dominant um, voices or those dominant scripts that we, some have grown up with, some have come from parents that we're living up to, some have come from uh, vocations that we live in, but there's these dominant scripts that we are always working alongside. Um, but today, in this last one, I just sort of wanted us today to share sort of four little stories in different forms um, about the end of some stories and how they give birth to new ones um, and why we need community to help in the process of ending some of these and giving birth to new, more flourishing narratives. So the first story is from myself. I'll start... I don't know half of you, but I'll just start deep. Why not? Um, so when I was uh, at high school, I was got into a vocational uh, high school for ballet. So this is where you study normal school, but also dance at the same time in the same this kind of selective entry. <laughs> for me, somewhere in my mind, it was so like important to have gone there and studying there and. Um, and I had a meeting with that was called that I had to attend. Um, I think I was year 11 at the time. And um, I wasn't looking back. I don't know why this meeting didn't happen without my parents in the room. Um, but I get into the room and it's the principal of this prestigious school, the wellbeing coordinator. There was a three of them and myself in this room. And um, 
they had said, look, we, we've, we've come to our knowledge that you are struggling with some mental health issues and it's affecting your, your physicality and your, um, your capacity to perform and dance with us at this school. And we need to ask you right here and now, can you change that? Can, for me, it was um, an eating disorder. Can you, can you promise us that you will get, improve, like, get better in order to continue at the school? Can you promise us that you'll put on weight to continue at the school? Looks, looking back, it's a horrific thing to put in. <laughs> but they sort of said, can you give us that um, for you to continue? And I said big eyes in this kind of stunned, I can't promise that right now, I'm just trying my hardest, horrified that it had all come out, that they had found out about this inner battle of mine. Obviously, being at this vocational school and having an, an illness of such was a terrible combination, but, um, but they just said, you can't continue until A, B and C, and I said, I can't do that. And they said, unfortunately, you can't continue with us here. So I got up, I walked out, I walked out onto, (laughs) what do you do then, Uh, you know, I got on a tram and just burst into tears on this tram, like hysteric sobbing, like just the kind of everyone in a tram looking at you sobbing and I just stayed on the tram. I can't even remember how long I said, I just couldn't get off this tram. This little lady is like, do you want any tissue? Um, But in my mind, I was like, I've just failed, just failed at that moment there was a big and in my mind almost the tram point (laughs) I say it only like it's not too like live pains I'm I'm okay but it but I almost conceive the tram point as significant in my mind of when I got on that tram and just the leaving the dramatic leaving of this promised story of dance or ballet or um, and I didn't, go pa- I didn't go on the tram past that strip for about four years. I refused to go anywhere near that in Melbourne City. I didn't go anywhere. It was so traumatic. I didn't dance. I didn't do anything. I couldn't go on this part of a road. It was so planted, this trauma. Um, and it was interesting later on, years later, but that was for me, just so we're talking about stories, that was the end of this peak elite performance story done, that was over. Um, I I didn't have the mental capacity to fight any of that. I just was a bit of a mess. Um, But years later, I'd sort of, years later, found dance again. And I needed to find some books on ballet. And I, um, I, I sort of set myself this challenge of go back to that library and do your research from there. It's like... I don't know why, who, where that thought came from, why, why enter the trauma. But I, but I decided, that, well, I'll, I'll work from there. I'll just go back into the heartland of my trauma and pain and um, restore something by going in my new world of teaching. Um, I'll go and study in the library there, and which is what I did, which was incredibly healing, actually, to just this monster in my mind to sort of quickly diminish to going, oh, I'm, I'm not there. I'm, I found my love of ballet again in a very new capacity and it's life-giving for my soul, and I hope it's life-giving for my students. Um, and um, so that's story number one, was me and the tram. I um, sort of, if, if I was living in biblical times, which I never say that line, but, if I was, but sometimes these really monumental moments of, um, 
of story would be marked uh, by altars, altars of remembrance. Um, and in our Hebrew Bible, there are sort of references to altars being built in remembrance of when God did something or when something happened, when a sadness occurred, an altar would be built um, so people could remember. And I was thinking about that po- that moment um, of me and if I was to build a go and put a rock <laughs> rock on that strip of land where I'm like, oh, that was a moment. At the time, it was not a remembering of life-giving moment, but it's now in my mind that particular little location is definitely a moment of story ending and something f- took a while, but new, new story beginning that had a bit more flourishing. Um, I don't know, in your mind, I won't ask a bit of a vulnerable question for you all, but for yourselves, like, where would you put your rock? If you had to mark these stories that are less than life-giving for whatever reason, where would you put an altar? So the second story, speaking of the Hebrew Bible, we're going to just touch on a part of the Hebrew Bible um, and uh, the story of Ruth. Uh, just because it's a really interesting story. It was written as a prose rather than this perhaps actually happening. Um, But the story of women in a really complex dynamic caught in despair and strife with powers greater than them um, that caused this moment in the story. Um, The story is set in a pastoral landscape and it often used creative names for characters. So they're not just people. They were sort of loaded with meaning um, and there were recurring motives and and kind of wordplay that would be used in this story to share an idea. Um, So I'm just going to read it. Oh, so a little sort of backstory of the narrative of Naomi and Ruth. Um, Naomi was living in Bethlehem, of all places, and and she had to, for various um, parts of her story, she was married and had two sons, um, and over the course, and both of those sons married, um, and they had to move around because of famine, and the story is a bit vague on how the famine impacted them, but over the course of 10 years, her husband had died, and both her sons had died. Um, and she was for, left with her two daughters-in-law and forced to return home in despair at the state of her, her, her life. So this is the moment of returning without husband, without children, um, back to where she grew up. When Naomi saw that Ruth had her heart set on going with her, she gave in. So Ruth was her daughter-in-law. And so the two of them travelled on together to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was soon buzzing. Is this really our Naomi? And after all this time? But she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. The strong one has dealt me a bitter blow. I left here full of life and God has brought me back with nothing but the clothes on my back. Why would you call me Naomi? God certainly doesn't. The strong one has ruined me. So the words Naomi, her name literally means pleasant or gentle. Um, And the the term that's used is Mara. Um, This translation uses bitter, but that means bitter or overcome by sadness. So she's saying, don't call me by my name. Call me by my state, which is I'm bitter. 
And in her story, all of that had come from the hand of this almighty God who had caused all this despair. The script that she was working was that God caused this, all of this, and despair was the only obvious answer. I find it just interesting of, as here we're a community who question of life, the, the activity of God, as we look at end of stories of what is the activity of God as we encounter endings and abruptness in life. Um, I don't hold that God is the, the active agent. You can pull my, the plug on my, my microphone right about it. Don't, I don't hold that the God I see in Jesus is the one who is the active agent of calamity, causing things. That's not the God I've come to see in Christ. Um, but for, for this moment, this bitterness where she might have planted her altar at the gates of Bethlehem, I've just gone, this is the, my mark of sadness. Um, but if we were to kind of have a whole story, Ruth, the story continues. Um, not obviously a really quirky, interesting story, but it, it moves past that moment and an interesting new story emerges for her. So the third story we're going to look at is jumping to the New Testament, um, to the Gospels, um, and kind of an unlikely part of the Gospels. For some reason, we don't go here a lot until it's Christmas time, but we're going to talk about the resurrection. I know, it's a bit, we're talking about an up morning. We're going to jump from these moments of, what was that? (laughs) We all need that after those two sad stories of sadness and bitterness. Um, But I find just reflecting on the resurrection in a we're not in, this is not, you've discovered by now, this is not a Pentecostal church. As much as Josh tries to, to pick us up and speed it up, we're still not a Pentecostal camp. Sorry, Josh, we appreciate all your attempts. It's, one day, one day we'll get some more foot tapping going on. Flags can come. Flag, oh, poor, don't say that without trigger warnings. <laughs> um, but I find it as we talk about scripts ending and looking for hope in new scripts beginning, like for me, going on a tram to nowhere, um, not even knowing what new script would emerge. Um, this resurrection is a, is a really quirky turn of events of this real sad, bitter story of, of murder and, and hatred and, um, and it just turns in a really quirky way. Um, so I'm got two folks to read um, Matthew today, um, and Matthew can be a bit on the dramatic side in, in Matthew's retelling. Matthew's looking from a, an, a, a very sort of Jewish messianic lens of Jesus is this big, hopeful, big picture painting of this is the person that we've been hoping for. So you might find. There's these flourishes that Matthew uses in the telling of the resurrection, but they just add to the beauty of the story. So I'm going to pass on to Karen. Matthew 28, 1 to 10. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary of Magdala came with Mary to inspect the tomb. Suddenly, there was a severe earthquake And an angel of God descended from heaven, rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
The angel's appearance was like lightning, with garments white as snow. The guards shook with fear and fell down as though they were dead. Then the angel spoke, addressing the women. Don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus the crucified, who is no longer here. Jesus has been raised exactly as it was foretold. Come and see the burial place. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that Jesus has risen from, the de- risen from the dead and now goes ahead of you to Galilee. You will see Jesus there. That is the message I have for you. The women hurried away from the tomb with awe and great joy and ran to carry the good news to the dis- disciples. Suddenly Jesus stood before them and said, Shalom. The women came up, embraced Jesus' feet and worshipped. At this, Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell the disciples to go to Galilee where they will see me. The eleven made their way to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had summoned them. And at the sight of the risen Christ, they fell down in homage, though some doubted what they were seeing. Jesus came forward and addressed them in these words. All authority has been given me both in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Baptise them in the name of Abba God and of the only begotten and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to carry out everything I have commanded you and know that I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Thanks, Grace. I know this Great Commission has been used in all sorts of interesting and sort of pressure-filled ways, but um, kind of looking at it as just this reappearance of something hopeful, um, an actual insistence of one narrative having not ended, but there is just more to this story that continues and in this really mystical way, Jesus appears and then disappears. So quick. It's just, I'll just shake my head again. It's such, such a, just this, like, insistence of the story continues and there is hope. Um, and these last words that um, are recorded in Matthew of just, know that I'm with you even until the end of the world. The end of one story, we find something. Um, in this, we find hope that these disciples would have witnessed. Um, It's much slower than sort of anything abstract, but um, there's just this invitation to movement forward. Um, When I think of faithfulness, I sort of don't use that term of like, oh, God, thank you for your faithfulness, um, because God doesn't seem to be faithful to outcome, um, and I really struggle with that. God doesn't bring people back to life. God doesn't stop things from occurring. God... There's this book called God Can't. There's limits of just this interfering God that stops traffic and does all this kind of... There's just... The ancients would speak of God often thinking that God is perhaps much more active, and, but we, we sit in a time now that we don't feel like that makes sense because of the inconsistency of God's apparent action and inaction. <clears throat> so we get this sense of God is faithful to what... Um, and, and all I kind of have left is God is faithful to love um, and faithful to the insistence 
of this story and the invitation. There I find the faithfulness of God, that the invitation will occur on the other side of those moments of the end of one script and the reappearance of the new script. There is, that is the faithfulness. Um, it, as I say, it doesn't diminish. It's not too cheery. We're just chill. We're not too cheery. But there is a, there is a kind of to trust in the future faithfulness. It's not trusting that God will make things turn out okay. It just is not our experience. But we trust that on the other side there is a faithfulness to an invitation of a more life-giving story. Um, and as we try and do that collectively in these big, like coming up against these big forces in our society that are pulling us apart and tearing our beings and dehumanising people and even the inner stories which diminish us and tell us we have failed at something. Um, I believe in the faithfulness that there is love on the other side and it emerges and creates a new story that is sometimes just way more interesting. I think of my life, my story is ballet now as a teacher and I get very emotional if I think about it, but just um, I had a student come up to me the other day and she... um, I just said, oh, I've really, I've really enjoyed watching you dance today. And she just said, I'm so sorry. I haven't got the turnout. I don't have this. Um, and I was like, oh, no, no, I hope you can hear what I'm saying, this adult student, to say, I really enjoyed watching you move today. And um, she was so shameful that it wasn't in a perfect way. And just the kind of gift that I have in that moment to say, oh, it's a joy. What you have today to offer here in this ballet studio is a joy to me to witness. Um, and I hope that can be part of the story after her story where she thought she was a failure at her own ballet story. Um, so that kind of comes to where we are as a community and and to maybe watching... Where does Bluey fit into this? <laughs> Mainly because we have the kids in the room, but um, as we thought, what, what role do we play for each other um, as we some, quietly invite people to better stories? I think of it in this, like, of, of Shane teaching us about some of these larger pressures in our life, like that to me is an invitation to wit expose what is there and perhaps recraft better collectives. Um, so we're going to watch an episode of Bluey today um, just because we, we do have the kids in the room. If you've never seen Bluey, um, it's, kid, it's one of Australia's best exports of kids' show. It's a very short little episode. Um, but this little, this little clip is about one story and about one character following a script and the gift of another character helping to alter that script a little bit in a more life-giving trajectory. So if you can bear with me today, can you handle seven minutes of Bluey? <laughs> Before Jesus comes back and questions my, how I've woven a Bluey episode into anything that's got the resurrection. All right, so we might watch Bluey um, before we finish up. than her, Bluey. Am I better than Judo? You're about the same as Judo. I'm not. Judo can't do skip ball or backwards wonga. Well, she'll get there one day. But am I better than her on this day? 
Louie, just run your own race. Huh? What does that mean? Come here. Have I told you the story of when you took your first steps? Oh, no. Well, it all started when you were still a baby. <laughs> Come on, Louie. Roll over. Roll over. You learned to roll over really early. Megan, she rolled over. She rolled over. <laughs> She's not meant to do that for ages. Oh, that's my girl. <laughs> Hang on. Where was I? You weren't born yet, sweetheart. Ooh, I was invisible. Were you proud of me for rolling over so soon? Yes, a little too proud. I think I may have turned into a bit of a show-off. Oh, I've never heard of a baby rolling over that early. I know. She's just special. <coughs> but then one day at Mother's Group, it is very early to roll over. Oh, you're so clever, Bluey. Oh, she's sitting! She's sitting! Oh, Judo, you're sitting all by yourself! <laughs> oh, goodness, that's very early to be sitting. Oh, well, you know, it's not a race. But it was a race. A baby race! This episode of Bluey is called Baby Race. I don't know what got into me, but I was determined I'd get you walking before Judo's mum. I mean, Judo. There you go. Steady. Bandit! She's sitting! Huh? Good girl! But after a lot of practice, eventually, you sat up. Louie, you're sitting. <laughs> you oh, goodness, I just can't keep track of her. <laughs> Judo crawled before me as well. Judo beat you again. And just what did you do about this? Well, I tried my best. This thing, how do you... Come on, Louie, crawl to Mama. You can do it. You can do it. Did I do it? Not exactly. <laughs> Why was I rolling? I don't know, kid. You didn't come with instructions. The doctor said there was nothing to worry about. Some babies just roll before they crawl. <laughs> but I wasn't having that. 99 bottles of thing on the wall. Aha! It's fun to crawl. <laughs> oh, how good is crawling? It's better than rolling. Yeah! My knees! Exactly. Come on, Bluey. You can do it. Crawl to me. <laughs> oh, yeah! Bum shuffle! Bum shuffle? Bum shuffle. You were a bum shuffler. <laughs> Woohoo! Go, Bluey! Meanwhile, Judo was pulling herself up on furniture, which is the step right before walking. And I was just bum shuffling around. You are definitely not winning the baby race. The doctor said there was nothing to worry about. Some babies just bum shuffle before they crawl. <laughs> but I wasn't having that. See, feels good, doesn't it? Feels like you want to crawl, right? Did she crawl? Yes. Hooray! Backwards. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. <laughs> the doctor said there was nothing to worry about. But Nana wasn't having that. Let's stop mucking around, eh? A bit of olive oil on those knees will do the trick. But how is olive oil going to help? Oh, for goodness! Mom, what are you doing? If she can't crawl, she'll have to walk. This isn't legal anymore. <laughs> I'll sprinkle some grit down, too. Oh, where'd that 
Your nana's old school. None of it mattered, though. Judo had won the baby race. Oh, biscuits. Were you upset with me that I lost the baby race? No, sweetie. Look, we were all learning to do things for the first time. I just felt like I was doing everything wrong. Aren't you going to mother's group? Yeah, isn't that cute? It's like he was born in it. <laughs> but then one day, Coco's mum came to see me. Hi, Chili. Bella. Oh, hello. I'm so sorry. The house is a mess. We chatted for a while and then she showed me a photo. Are these all your children? Yep. I thought Coco was your first. No, I've got eight kids. Wait, no, nine. I had no idea. Wow. You must have learned a thing or two. I have. And there's something you need to know. What? You're doing great. Are they happy tears, Mum? Yeah. Happy tears, honey. From then on, I decided to run my own race. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, 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 well done, Judo, you clever girl. So, did Blue ever learn to walk? Yes, honey. In the kitchen, actually. Why did I decide to walk in the kitchen? I don't know, sweetie. Maybe you just saw something you wanted. Maybe you can see why Bluey's become like a favourite for everyone. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> my, my kid liked it. <laughs> um, so it's a lot, like, very loose connection of just, but I guess in, like, how we can be just like, you know, the gift of the whatever role we play in the second part of people's stories, um, I'm I'm in it. You know that's why we just feel that community is is beautiful and it is a gift and we need it. Well, we might come to a time of communion then, um, and which is our kind of return to hope. We don't quite know how hope works in this world, but we keep trying to you know hope that. God is love. God is inviting us to something better always, again and again. Um, so our tradition here for communion is we gather in a circle and you're welcome to take a We've got heaps of crackers, which is great. So if you're feeling hungry, you can even go for the half rather than the, the one-tenth. <laughs> um, and take hold of uh, the cracker and the juice and stand with us in the circle to have communion together. If you don't want to do that, you're welcome to just join the circle or to stay where you're seated um, for us to say a prayer, take communion and then do our benediction. So please join me in communion. I'm just going to say this benediction and then we can take our communion. So may we hear the voice of love. May we be the voice of love. May less-than-life stories be replaced again and again by the generative path through the wisdom that is in Jesus. Amen. Let's eat and drink together.